It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. Welcome to the Sunday morning edition of Daily Thunder. We've been uh, going through a series uh, over the past, I don't know what it's been, if it's been months uh, or month uh, on World War II, and I took a little hiatus from it uh, this past week to focus on uh, the secrets of intimacy because of our advanced uh, class that just launched, and that was a special week just focused on intimacy, but uh, I was sort of missing the manly growl. It's funny to go from World War II to intimacy, <laughs> back to World War II. And that, it is the Christian life, though. The Christian life is a mixture between battle and intimacy. And so it is a funny uh, dynamic to, to learn how to dexterously uh, go back and forth between the two and learn how to balance those two uh, seeming opposites. This is a- actually uh, part 18 uh, in that series called Spiritual Lessons from World War II. And the timing of this one, just like I'm thinking about last week when I, when I gave a message uh, called the Hobbelar, uh, it was the timeliness of these are, are very unique considering it wasn't necessarily masterminded on my part. I just was laying out a series and I would have actually given this on Monday of this last week in according with what I was thinking, but then I took that break and I focused on intimacy. But this one's called the War Machine, which is uh, not about what you would guess when you hear the words war machine. And it is about World War II, but it is going to be about something different than just the works of governments and the works of uh, military forces in World War II. It's going to be more focused on the work of the church in the midst of it. And I think that has the potential to be very profound and encouraging for us at such a time as this. Last week we talked about the Hobbelar, which is God's solution. We could even say it this way, God's providential solution for a need in a time of crisis, when there seems to be uh, no hope, then God already, before that circumstance has arrived, has already prepackaged a solution. It's It's a means of deliverance. And so just as Jesus, who's what I would call the capital H Hobbelar in history, he is God's prepackaged, preordained solution for such a time as this. In the fullness of time, Jesus comes and he is the savior. He is what we need. Well, all throughout history, you see that. And so when the Philistines are standing against the nation of, of, of Israel, and all, it looks like all is going south. I mean, you have this big giant, no man can possibly beat him. And unless they can somehow bring forth a soldier, a warrior of, of such a nature that could stand against this 12 and a half foot behemoth, well then, guess what? Israel is going to become the slave of the Philistines. Oh no. But there was, in the sheep pasture lands of Judah, being prepared a young boy. A young boy for such a time as this. He's a hobbler. And so in our day and age, here we are as the church with these unique challenges that are facing us. And as a nation, I mean, the fact that if any of us even say out loud the fact that this is a crisis, this coronavirus, you feel awkward because you're like, this really is pathetic. And yet it really is becoming an emergency situation in our country because of how people are responding to it. 
it is creating an emergency that otherwise shouldn't be there. And so as a result, it's impacting our lives. My life had, we had less than I had three events uh, basically canceled in the past uh, couple days. And so we're staring at these unique situations where the, the landscape of our life is altered and there's a growing threat around us. Now, I personally am not threatened by the coronavirus, but that's the way people feel, though. They feel like there's a threat. We have the solution. We have the truth of the gospel. There's nothing quite like truth that sets people free. And so as a result, what we have is critical to get, just like we're like David in the Judean pasture lands, taking care of sheep. And we need the commission to deliver the bread and cheese to the battlefront. We need to be brought in. So that's what we were talking about in our prayer time, even before we started this, is God, use us. Use us for such a time as this. God has a solution for this lost and dying generation. And oftentimes, his desire is to use us as people as the key element, as the key breakthrough point to be able to awaken and to bring salvation in a time of darkness. And that's what you're going to see in World War II. It's a very interesting meditation. So the war machine. So I'm going to give you uh, a little section of one of the famous speeches uh, of Winston Churchill, June 4th, 1940. In, and this is called, We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches, which is ironic because that line is really not in the, the speech. It, he actually says, we shall fight on the beaches. But for whatever reason, it's oftentimes referred to as, we shall fight them on the beaches. June 4th, 1940, what's happening? Well, if you've been following this series, you recognize that this is a very crux point in World War II. It's, it's a defining moment for a nation. It's the nation of Great Britain. Because on May 10th, Hitler is going to invade uh, Holland, Belgium, and he's going to sweep into France. And chaos is going to ensue because no one would have guessed that France would fall like a house of cards. And this is Great Britain's ally. This is their lone ally in this battle because the United States hasn't come in. And so Great Britain suddenly is going to find themselves alone. Uh, you're going to have some amazing things taking place in the days immediately following May 10th, 1940. On May 10th, Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of Great Britain, is going to be ousted. Winston Churchill is going to be installed. What a time to take the lead. He is literally coming into the leadership of this nation that is falling to pieces. It is uh, divided sharply politically at the time where no one can even hardly talk to each other. They are so aggravated and incensed over what is taking place. And they, they want Neville Chamberlain's head in many regards because they believe he's the one responsible for all of this. When in fact, the whole nation is responsible for the pacifism. The whole nation is responsible for the fact that they turned a blind eye to Hitler. Even though in a time of crisis, we have a tendency to want to find a fall guy. We want to blame, as, as Adam did, well, it was the woman uh, that gave me the fruit. Uh, and we want to find the fall guy so that it doesn't come on us. It's called self-justification. You see that happening in Great Britain. But Winston Churchill is entering into a situation which no human on earth would ever want to lead in. And yet he is, in a strange way, going to be a hobbler for this nation. He will. And it, it's, it's profound. And I've, I've talked enough on that that I don't need to go into that right now. But that's giving you some context of what is taking place. So Great Britain has most, 70% of their armed forces are over in France. 
And when France begins to fall, Great Britain's forces are surrounded, and they're going to retreat to a port city called Dunkirk. And many of us have heard the term Dunkirk. We know it's symbolic. I mean, I don't know if anyone can hear the word Dunkirk. If you know about World War II, that's like one of the key moments in it. And so, but that's 70% of the armed forces of Great Britain are actually surrounded and very likely going to be absolutely annihilated and destroyed. And what, what are you going to do if you're Winston Churchill? You have now taken leadership of a nation that is sharply divided in absolute contention, and it seems hopeless. Everything is just dark uh, in the country. So what is going to take place is a series of events, and the Dunkirk evacuation is actually considered by many people to be a supernatural deliverance uh, of the soldiers, and almost every one of them is going to get out alive, which is a whole story in and of itself. Uh, that I have referenced uh, multiple times in our World War II series. But right at this time, you're going to see the, the attitude of a nation begin to rise. And Winston Churchill is going to symbolize that. And so his speeches, when you look back on them in history, are going to enunciate a people sort of coming out of a fog bank and to rise up and say, hey, let's not just ball up in the fetal position. Let's rise up and fight. And so this is at the exact time that it looks like Germany is going to not just finish off France, but they're going to step across the English Channel and invade England, which no one has invaded the land of England. I actually been on English property as a foreign invading nation for around 1,200 years. So this, talk about foreign experience, sort of like what we're experiencing with the coronavirus right now. This is not normal to us. Viruses are normal. Our reaction to the coronavirus and having no toilet paper on the shelves, not normal, okay? This is odd for all of us. It's odd that all my events are canceling. It's odd that I don't even know how my next week is going to unfold because I was supposed to be in Tennessee next week. All this preparation, I've had all sorts of preparation for speaking. You know how much work it takes to prepare to do things like this? And now it's just like, all right, I'm not doing that. All of us are in this unique zone of time. It's a little different than the Battle of Britain, which is about to ensue here. But what you're going to see is there needs to be a voice of truth in the midst of it. So here's the speech. We shall fight them on the beaches, June 4th, 1940. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall, not, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. There's more before this. There's more after, but that's just a little clip from it just to sort of give you the, the spirit of what is taking place in Great Britain at the time. However, there was one form of fighting that he didn't mention. We shall fight them on our knees. What we're going to see in this little meditation that I'm going to bring out today from the war is that there was a troop of Christians that recognized the importance in this, that what they were fighting against wasn't just human. <laughs> it was spiritual. And there was a spiritual darkness that was puppeteering the German uh, government at the time and the, uh, the Nazi rule. And that to deal with Hitler, you needed to deal with that which was controlling Hitler. 
You need to deal with the spiritual powers that were involved in this. So it's a, a very, because we as Christians are sensitized to that, and so what I'm saying doesn't sound shocking. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. But to this group of people, this was what they gave themselves to. And they actually said, we need to, the way a soldier would spend himself on the front line, would we be willing to spend ourselves and even give up our lives to stand for the spiritual side of this and to stand against the powers of darkness that are attempting to control the world right now? This was such a dark time. And it's hard for us to comprehend. I think having this weird, uh, surreal heaviness of the coronavirus in our country gives us at least a preparatory understanding of maybe what they were dealing with. But, I mean, I don't think it even comes close, I mean, to be honest with you, but at least we have something to sort of warm up our engine. We shall fight them on our knees. The war machine, the praying church. So when I call this the war machine, like I said, it's a little different than what you might think, but the praying church, that this literally is uh, the great apparatus, to use a good World War II term, to bring down the enemy. Now, whether or not history is going to make it clear that this had any effect on it, because when you read the history books of World War II, they oftentimes don't, don't say, oh, and there was a group of praying saints over here. That's how we got out of Dunkirk. But that's actually how they got out of Dunkirk. In other words, what was taking place where there were men and women that were praying for supernatural effect and the fact that there were calm waters going across the cha channel and you have boats that cannot go into the open sea and yet they are going to cross, pick up troops and make it all the way back and the Luftwaffe can't seem to reach them with their bombs. I mean, hey, how do you explain it? It doesn't make any sense on paper. The war machine, the praying church. So Reese Howells, uh, who is a man who's had a big impact on my life. We have a Reese in this room. In fact, my son Reese is named after Reese Howells. Reese Howells is a very unique character in history, sort of hard to even know how to define. Uh, and he's a man who believed in the power of God. He believed that prayer changes the world. And so his life is going to demonstrate that. And so his book, Reese Howells Intercessor, is uh, quite the meditation on that. I used to, uh, before we started Ellerslie, I would always have uh, my, my top drawer of the... Uh, coffee, what's it, what's it called, the end table uh, next to my bed, and then the top drawer would always be Reese Howell's Intercessor, and I would pull it out just for encouragement, because that's, when, when we were starting Ellerslie, what I desired to start was a prayer college. That's actually what I would have even described it as. I want something like that that changes nations, that literally shapes the course of history, men and women that know the value, the importance of prayer, and that are willing to get on their knees and shape what takes place in history. Now, whether we've had our seasons at Ellerslie where we've been more that than at other times. And I would say there's a stirring inside of me to revisit that and to say, God, what does that look like for such a time as this? Because we, if, if you know my burden, I desire to be a praying and a confessing church, which means it's not just a church that prays, it's a church that does. It's a church that activates it, prays, but also does. It's the combination of the two. I don't want to just pray and not go out and reach the world with the gospel. I desire to pray and do that. And so, but this is a dimension that I really desire to cultivate and foster. And if it's like burning embers, I, I want to blow on them and see them catch a fresh flame in this generation. 
So here's just a quote from Reese Howells. The path of the intercessor is the way of the cross. When you go the path of the praying man or the praying woman, at first it sounds like a cop-out. It's like, oh, well, they go to the front lines. Meanwhile, I'm going to pray. When in actuality, it is a great burden and a great weight. And if you read the story of Reese Howells, you'll see that that there is literally a breaking of body. You study John Prane Hyde, one of the most fascinating studies that you could have, and what happened to his body. He died at a young age, and if you were to look at it and medically assess why he died, he died because of his heart moved from one side of uh, his ribcage to the other because of the strain and the stress upon his heart that he allowed God to put there because he asked God to give him his burden. God, share your burdens with me, and he was in agony of prayer. It's like, that's strange. God, I I don't really want that. And then here's what I would say. Before you put a period to that, uh, that statement to God, pause and recognize who you are. You're the body of Christ. Remember, Jesus is going to come into the temple of God in the uh, New Testament record, and he is going to clear it out of all money changers. And what is he going to say? He says, my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the misuse of the house is to make it about self-gain. When in actually the proper use of the temple of God, and by the way, Paul will make it clear in the New Testament, you are that temple, is to be, have it be a house of prayer for all nations. It's where the burden of God dwells. So what is going to come out of this house but the expression from that burden? What is on the heart of God? What needs to be done in this world? That temple should know. This temple should be the place that God has sensitized, that God has alerted, so that we are ready to do the work of the king. So the path of the intercessor is the way of the cross. What does a cross lead to? Death. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that to pray so hard, so long, that you actually expire? (laughs) John praying high, that's what's so powerful about his life story. Reese Howells is going to die younger because of the same thing. So uh, he has a Bible college in Wales. It's called the Bible College of Wales. And I I didn't have a really great picture of it, but that at least gives you uh, the idea of of the sort of characters that were a part of this. It's just sort of a fun picture. Anytime you see an old-fashioned black and white, more sepia-toned picture. So January 1st, 1935, World War II is going to start... In January, or I'm sorry, in 1939, in, uh, don't remember if it's September or October, you think I would have that down, but it's going to be when they, Germany invades Poland in late 1939. January 1st, 1935, and this is going to be Norman Grubb, who's writing the biography of Reese Howells. Uh, Norman Grubb actually worked over in uh, interior, chi- interior China, interior Africa with C.T. Studd. And so he's just a great uh, biographer. I've really appreciated the, the different works that he's done. So this is four, four and a half years or more before, almost five years before the start of the war. In a new sense, the world began to be their parish, speaking of the Bible College at Wales. They began to be open for God to lay any prayer on them which would further the reaching of every creature with the gospel. They became responsible to intercede for countries and nations, as well as for individual missionaries and societies. The college truly became a house of prayer for all nations. So you have to recognize in the formation of my own life and my own understanding, this had a big impact. 
to begin to recognize that God could build a group, and at first we have a tendency as a group of believers to pray for the obvious things just sitting in front of us, which is good. That's what God wants us to do. But then he wants to mature us to actually begin to carry burdens beyond just this room to saying, God, but what's on your heart for other churches? What's on your heart for other communities? What's on your heart for other nations? Whoa, that's like a whole different worldview. It's like, how do you handle that? Well, that would take time. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time. It's like the equivalent of laying down everything and going off to war. When you go off to war, you can't work your business back home. You're, You're off to war. The same is true with what you're going to see happen here is these guys are literally going to give up their life to go on their knees. Not to just fight on the beaches and the landing grounds, but to fight on their knees. It's, it's pretty profound. March 21st, 1936. Things are very black on continent. This is from the journal, the, the daily journal that they would write in the uh, prayer college or in the Bible college. Things are very black on continent. We pray on until 11 a.m., and come back at 2.36 and 9 p.m. We ask the Lord to deal with Germany. So obviously, even then, Reese Howells and company recognized the evil on the other side uh, of uh, that English channel, what's taking place in Europe. They see it. This is, I mean, three, three and a half years before the start of World War II, and so they're still feeling the burden. Things are very black on continent. March 23rd, very grave on continent and in London. Meetings at 9 and 11 a.m. and 6 and 9 p.m. We plead with God. Those are prayer meetings, by the way. That's like four prayer meetings in a day. We plead with God to deal with Hitler and the German nation and to bring them to account. Interesting. That's three and a half years before the start of World War II or what we understand is the start of World War II. World War II is actually starting right here. It's just never declared. It's not declared until Great Britain and France, you know, challenge... uh, Hitler back when he invades Poland, but he was already building an army against the Treaty of Versailles. He was allowed to have a 100,000 standing army. Instead, he starts growing his army. He's not allowed to do that, but no one does anything. He takes his troops and he sticks them in the Rhineland. He's not allowed to occupy that territory, but he does, and no one does anything. He invades Austria. No one does anything. You see, World War II had already begun. He's actively engaged in taking territory for darkness. And so, The church is feeling it. Isn't that just amazing to think that it doesn't have to be something out there that the world recognizes, the news is covering. It's that the church of Jesus Christ recognizes something and they begin to do something about it. March 24th, situation regarding European crisis, very black. All the countries are disagreeing with each other. Burden is coming on very heavy. Meetings at 9 a.m., 6 and 9 p.m. March 24th through 29th, 1936. It continued like that for another five days. Then on March 29th, 1936, Mr. Howells came into the meeting and said, prayer has failed. We are on slippery ground. Only intercession will avail. God is calling for intercessors, men and women who will lay their lives on the altar to fight the devil as really as they would have to fight the enemy on the Western Front. It was made clear that a soldier at the front has no say in where he goes and what he does. He cannot take holidays or attend to the claims of home and loved ones as other people can. And the Lord was telling them that if, as really as that, some would become bond slaves to the Holy Spirit for every creature to be reached and would throw their lives into the gap, Ezekiel 22:30, he would give the victory and avert war. A large number of the staff and students made the surrender. You know, I, I can't help but when I read something like that, 
just wonder what would take place if we were to rise to that level of seriousness as the church and say, where do we stand on this? And most of us would say, well, it has to get a lot darker before I'm ready to do that. And so what, this is three and a half years before the start of the World War II, and they're feeling it this intensely. In other words, we don't have to wait for extreme crisis out there where we're in concentration camps <laughs> or being crucified on crosses before we take it seriously that the powers of darkness are making their move against our nation and against this world. One of the reasons why World War II, and I'm even bringing it up, is because it's a parallel. We're not dealing with Hitler and Nazism, but we're dealing with evil. And it's a very stout evil that wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and stamp it out. It wants to put a muffler on the word of God in this generation. It wants to clamp down on it and silence it. Yet we are the ones alive and ticking right now. We can't lean on previous generations to hold the banner for us. Other Christians from generations past, George Mueller, could you throw in a few prayers for us? Reese Howells, hey, could you do this for us? Could that 100 you know, men and women, could they do that for us now? We need some prayer. We are the ones. We are the ones that must rally ourselves, our own soul, the church of Jesus Christ to say, it's, t it's now time. Let's be men and women of prayer. March 29th, 1936, the most wonderful day in the college so far. Big day of surrenders and many take up the challenge of martyrdom. Well, you're, you're praying, guys. What do you mean you're taking up the challenge of martyrdom? You're just praying. How, how important is that? We shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them on the landing grounds. We as the church, we will fight them on our knees. We recognize that we are laying down our lives when we give them to Jesus Christ. Our lives are no longer our own. God, use us, spend us. During the four years previous to the outbreak of World War II, as we have already seen, the Lord was changing the burden on Reese House from local concerns, centering on the development of the college to national and international affairs. As he said, the world became our parish and we were led to be responsible to intercede for countries and nations. We have also seen how the Lord was preparing in the company at the, at the college a special instrument of intercession for the coming world crisis. Was there anywhere else in the whole of Britain or America or elsewhere among God's people another such company, maybe a hundred strong, who were on their knees day by day holding fast the victory by faith while soldiers across the water were retreating mile by mile, whole countries surrendering, and the enemy within sight of their goal? From this time on, through all the years of the war, the whole college was in prayer every evening from seven o'clock to midnight. With only a brief interval for supper, they never missed a day. This was in addition to, our, an, to an hour's prayer meeting every morning and very often at midday. There were many special periods when every day was given wholly to prayer and fasting. So I guess what, I'm, what you see me saying here is, yes, I'm talking about history. Yes, I'm saying this is what happened. You don't even know the effect of this, and this is impressive. This is moving to us. The effect of this is, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's going to change world history. That's the effect of this. The history books might not say that, but that's why this has always impacted me. Reese Howells is an odd duck, okay? There's not many people, you read Reese Howells and you'll be like, he's sort of an odd duck. Yeah, he's an odd duck, but he's a man of faith. And I, if I could ask for anything, it's like God raise up a man like Reese Howells right now in our generation. 
I'm scared about being Reese Howells. <laughs> this is a tough burden for me. I would rather be speaking and even evangelizing doing that, but praying, that's hard work. And it's, it's not appreciated work. Being under a stage and praying that the message of the gospel would be conveyed to the, to the nations or that evil powers that are puppeteering nations would be snapped and that they would be uh, resisted. I mean, there are going to be things that every time you study history, when you look at Hitler's movements, Hitler had what's called a voice that led him. That's actually what it was called. The voice told me this. I mean, it's weird and it's eerie, right? And we, of course, can understand what that voice was. But what's interesting is Reese Howells knew that this was darkness. He understood what it was, and he knew that to deal with darkness, you don't send a missile at it. To deal with darkness, you need to deal with it spiritually. And so Reese Howells was a chief weapon that God seemed to groom, and then he surrounded him with a hundred other men and women that were like ready to lay down their lives and saw the value of praying right now. That's, that's pretty special. That's pretty extraordinary. So now, remember I said May 10th, 1940, is the hammer blow from the Germans on Holland, which is also called the Netherlands, and Belgium, and France. This is a huge day in history. Uh, Neville Chamberlain is going to be ousted. Winston Churchill installed. This is May 18th. So now we're dealing with what we call the Dunkirk crisis. All of the troops are over there, stuck in France. And if they don't get out, well, first of all, we know that Hitler's eyeing Great Britain next. He's going to take Great Britain. And Great Britain doesn't have the defense systems in place. They're not ready for this because they've been peace, peace, peace at all costs. And so not only is their entire army over there surrounded and likely going to be annihilated, but then their, their dinner on the menu. Great Britain's going to go down. If Great Britain goes down, you think about the free world right now of how it's looking. I mean, you have no defense because America is still on the other side of the Atlantic saying peace, peace, peace at all costs. They haven't been awakened yet. They're in their Great Depression slumber. They're just thinking about themselves. We have problems. We have problems. We have economic issues. We can't support a war. You know what's going to, I think I've said this to you guys many times, but you know what's going to finally solve America's economic issues is they're going to turn outside themselves and start thinking about someone else. And then suddenly the Great Depression dissipates. <laughs> they're going to go to war to fight for what is true and right. And as a result, eh, yeah, there's no Great Depression anymore. Isn't that one of the greatest ironies? If you're in a Great Depression, just remember that. May 18th, 1940. I want to fight this enemy again this weekend as if it were the end of civilization. This is Reese Howells talking. You don't leave anything to chance in this. Don't allow those young men at the front to do more than you do here. That is such a unique commission because it's hard. If you've ever been in a time of prayer, and I've had this thought go through my head many times, do not let, allow those young men at the front to do more than you do here. If you've ever studied war history and if you've ever studied what it's like to be in any kind of warfare, especially trench warfare, I mean, it's, it's intimidating stuff. And what those men would go through day in and day out, sleeping in a trench, having bombs go off around them, and then you hear something like this, don't allow those young men at the front to do more than you do here. Go, that's, you know, hey, I thought I was free from that because I'm not over there. I was just praising God that I'm not over there. But you're here. And you're sound of body, you're sound of mind, and you have time. Give it. Spend it. Wait on God and allow God to give you his burden. 
May 21st, 1940. Yesterday was the darkest day in the history of this country, especially after the prime minister's speech, it's Winston Churchill. Everyone in town is expecting the enemy to invade this country. We have told the Lord our lives for victory. The French premier says tonight, it is only a miracle that will save us. The test is whether the Bible is true. Isn't this interesting? Because to Winston Churchill, he's, he's looking at the word of God on this. He's like, wait a minute. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. We're standing as a nation saying we are resisting this devil. The test is whether the Bible is true. I am willing, this is Reese Howes talking. Listen to this. This is like quite the statement. I am willing to risk my life to prove it. And I want to tell you tonight that it is quite true. See that your believing is right, and if it is, you don't need to have any fear. I like that. May 22nd, 1940. The world is in a panic today, and certainly we would, be, we, we would be too unless we were quite sure the Lord has spoken to us. The destiny of England will be at stake today and tomorrow. From the night of May 22nd, Mr. Howells no longer came to meetings. Other members of the staff took them. He went away alone with God to battle through, and as others have testified, the crushing burden of those days broke his body. He, lit, he literally laid down his life. May 30th, 1940. Oh, for God to lift us up tonight. We are not to run into any panic thinking the Nazis are going to win. We may have to go through far greater sufferings, yes, but I am not going to doubt the final issue. We state in the plainest terms, listen to what he stated on May 30th. This is before the Battle of Britain even begins. Operation Sea Lion is in place. The Nazis are planning on crossing the channel and invading England. And for all practical purposes, if you're a betting person, you're going to say this is a joke when, when Reese House says the enemy will not invade Christian England. That would have been a joke you would laugh at on paper. Okay, uh, Kennedy, I don't remember which Kennedy it was, but he was the uh, ambassador uh, to, foreign ambassador to Great Britain from America, is going to come back and tell Roosevelt, do not invest any resource into, Ameri into Great Britain because they will not survive this. They are going to fall and fall fast. So that's the man who has an up-close and personal view of everything that's going on in Great Britain. He's going to come back and tell Roosevelt that it's done. There's no, no way. And remember what France is saying, that in three weeks, uh, Great Britain's neck is going to be wrung like a chicken. That's what they're saying in France. Uh, in, in Germany, we know that they were very confident. They had a complete confidence that they were going to absolutely devastate England if England even dared try and resist. The enemy will not invade Christian England. Now, what's amazing is those forces never made it across the channel and never made it onto the ground of England or of Great Britain. Never did. And it's shocking when you study it in the history books. I mean, it's like, how did that happen? That is amazing. When we look back now after these years, many in Britain still recall the terror of those days, remembering the miracle of Dunkirk, acknowledged by various leaders to be an intervention from God, the calm sea allowing the smallest boats to cross, the almost complete evacuation of English troops, and then the lead of Mr. Churchill gave to the nation, the lead that Mr. that Mr. Churchill gave to the nation. How thankful we are that God has this company of hidden intercessors whose lives were on the altar day after day as they stood in the gap for the deliverance of Britain. There are going to be moments that when you study it in history, you can't figure out why Hitler would suddenly stop. He has all the power to destroy all those troops at Dunkirk. And yet he is actually going to halt his tanks 
And his German leadership is like, what are you doing? We have them. And Hitler was concerned about something. He didn't know. Was this a trap? How is this going to work? I think we need to make sure our supply lines are going to match with us. Hitler is going to make mistakes or blunders that don't make any sense because he's brilliant. This man has just pulled off one of the greatest military exploits in all of history. What you're going to see him do is defy nations knowing that those nations will do nothing. And all of his generals are saying, you can't do this. He goes, watch me. And he does. When he rebuilds uh, his army, he rebuilds his military power, when he takes the Rhineland with soldiers, they don't do anything. And all his, his generals are like, that's amazing. How does this guy know this? Then he invades Austria. They do nothing. He takes the Sudetenland. He takes Czechoslovakia. They do nothing, just as Hitler said they wouldn't do. And so everyone is trusting Hitler, but then Hitler is going to suddenly start making these world-class blunders that don't make any sense to his generals, which will end up costing him the war, by the way. And in this situation, you see that what is taking place is prayer, is taking place, and even though it looks on paper that Hitler has the upper hand, he is the powers of darkness, and he is coming against powers of light, and the light will prove triumphant. So what does this mean to us? My first statement could be, I don't know, other than it should mean something. For us, we represent a mature body of believers that are uniquely positioned for such a time as this to do something. Not to think about things, but to do things. Not to uh, sound wise in our doctrine, but to live out our doctrine powerfully and boldly in this generation. If we really believe that prayer changes things, we should pray. If we really believe that when we resist the evil one, he must flee, what would happen if we as the church together do that? Because most of us think about that as individually. We don't think about that as corporately resisting. Corporately standing up and pushing back. Our country is in a very unusual, fragile state right now. Our economy is in a fragile state because of what is taking place, but the souls of men and women are at a fragile state and they are susceptible to hearing truth because they are craving stability. They're recognizing that their worldview is not holding them up in a time of pathetic crisis. This isn't even crisis and it's not holding them up. And they are behaving irrationally, and they see it. They don't like this. They're uncomfortable with what is taking place, even in their own soul and in their own thought processes. And as a result, we are in a unique position of strength to do something as the church of Jesus Christ. Part of what we do needs to be action, but part of what we do needs to be prayer. And so this morning we're talking about prayer. It's interesting because the same Reese Howells was in Africa during the plague. And the plague was not just in Europe, was not just in Great Britain, it was in Africa where he was. And he made such a unique statement to the community around, which was not hungry for the gospel. They had witch doctors, all these tribal villages. He goes down there and he had this compound there. That's what they called it. It's like this, I don't know, it's walled in or, or what. And he said, anyone that steps onto, that comes and finds shelter on this compound will not die of the plague. That's what he said. He, so he says that publicly. So all these people start 
making their way, even people with the plague would come onto the compound and no one died throughout the whole plague that actually came onto those grounds. That's weird. Yeah, that's the sort of guy we're dealing with. He's an odd duck. And that's an odd thing to do. And yet I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued with that sort of boldness in, a, in an hour of frailty. That sort of strength of voice in an hour when everyone else is trembling. I mean, you look at Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel, and what's he going to say? He's standing alone. He's the only prophet around. You have, I mean, what is it, 750 other prophets of Baal in the grove? And you have all the, the governmental support is in support of the false prophets? You got one guy. Because Jezebel's killed them all off. Of course, we do know that there were still some probably in hiding, right? There were, what, 700? Is that the, the 7,000 that hadn't bent their knee to Baal? And so we know that there were more out there, but he was all alone, and that's the way he even felt. And he is going to defy openly the powers of darkness. He's going to do it openly. You know, so I, I just want us to be inspired today to recognize that, yeah, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, we've been built. All right, let's pray. Father, build us into a praying army, a war machine. Lord, only you can do this. This is something that is beyond our ability to do. We can only say yes. We can only consecrate ourselves, but we need the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. The one that ever lives to make intercession, to live inside of us and to make us houses of prayer for all nations. Lord, make us as a body of Christ a house of prayer. Lord, move us to action. We submit to you today, Lord Jesus, and we say, here we are. Send us. Lord, may we be ready to give, ready to serve, ready to live boldly. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.